so much. Turn with me this morning again to the book of Ephesians, again to chapter 2, and again to verses 4 through 7. I say again because um, we're in our study in Ephesians. We are uh, back in chapter 2, and we are looking at the same verses that we read last week. Uh, Let me just say again how much I appreciate you. I appreciate your, uh, your, how should I say it? Sometimes your willingness to sit through it, your willingness to, to come and just be patient as we work our way through Holy Scripture. You know, that, is our, that is our basic philosophy of, of ministry here. We believe that change comes through the Word of God. And the only way that God can do that in our hearts is if we unfold and unpack what His Word tells us. And so that's what we are here at North Point. We are a church that just goes through the Bible and tries to see what it says, tries to believe what it teaches, and apply it to our hearts. And so uh, we're not in any hurry going through Ephesians. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at the same verses uh, this morning that we looked at last week, just from a different angle and perspective. But we're in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. And again, this is God's word. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. And again, that is God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us this great gift. This gift of your word. Holy, inspired, inerrant, with full authority and power over our lives. And and thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Who you promised would be our helper, our teacher and our counsel. And so we pray those two gifts would be special to us this morning. That your word would be clear to us as the Holy Spirit opens it to our understanding and gives us grace to believe it, to trust it, and to apply it to our lives. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, as I looked at uh, these verses, verses 4 through 7, I focused on God's actions in salvation. That is what God does to enable us to respond to the gospel, to trust in Jesus, and to have new life. You know, the clear message in the book of Ephesians is that if God does not do something to save us, if God does not dramatically intervene into our lives, if God does not take the initiative... And, and take the first step on our behalf, then we simply have no hope of being saved. Now, as always, we have to keep every text in its proper context. And the context of verses 4 through 7 is what we found in the first three verses of Ephesians 2, especially in verse 1, where we're told, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, I know I've stressed that. 
Maybe ad nauseum to some of you. But look, your view of man determines your view of salvation. If you think we're basically okay, if you think, well, you know, we're just a little sick and we just need a little, little medicine of grace to help us overcome it, then you won't see that there's a great need for God to do something radical to accomplish our salvation. But if you really grasp what the Bible says about the nature of man apart from Christ, if you really believe what the Bible says that apart from Him, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are spiritually dead, alienated from Him, unable to do anything for ourselves, helpless and hopeless. Then you will see that it takes a mighty work of a mighty God to do for us what we simply cannot do for ourselves. And that's what we find in verses 4 through 7. Here we're told what God does to save us. Not just, in, again, in, in sending His Son to die on the cross to make provision for our salvation, but what He does in our hearts to change us and to open our eyes to see and, and to be able to, 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 to grasp the truth of the gospel and to believe in Jesus and trust in Him for salvation. Well, what do we find in verses 4 through 7? God makes us alive together with Christ. He raised us up with Him and He seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ. That is what God does for us. He gives us new life. He raises us out of the muck and mire of sin. The same power He used to raise Jesus from the grave. And He assures us of salvation and eternal life. So much that it's though we're already seated there in the heavenly places with Him. Again, verse 4 begins with those two important words, but God. You were dead but God did something about it. Now today we're going to look at these verses from a different angle. Not from the angle of God's actions, but from the angle of God's attributes. His attributes that led Him to do this for us. So the question this morning before us is this. What attributes of God does Paul say are behind God's actions of giving us new life, raising us up with Christ, and seating us with Him in the heavenly places. We find four attributes of God listed for us here in our text. The first attribute of God we find here is His mercy. Carrie talked about mercy in Sunday school this morning, Romans chapter 11. He and I talked about the fact that how often our Sunday school his Sunday school lesson, my sermons kind of dovetail together. That's because we're we're teaching from the same book. Mercy. Look at verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy. Mercy. It was because of God's mercy that He made us alive together with Christ or caused us to be born again. What is mercy? Mercy is God reaching out to us not just in our sin, 
but in the misery that's caused because of our sin. It's God reaching out to us and dealing with us in our misery of, of realizing that we are really helpless and hopeless and cannot do anything for ourselves. Best illustration, uh, human illustration of God's mercy toward us is to me found in the, the parable that Jesus gave of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. A man was traveling down the road from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, and as he went, he was accosted by robbers. These thieves not only robbed him, but they beat him. The Bible says that they left him beside the road half dead. The man was going to die. Now, later that day, two men rode by, a priest and a Levite. They were Jewish religious leaders. Both of them saw the man in his helpless condition, turned their head, and went on by leaving him along the road. Later that day, a Samaritan came by. Won't go into the details, but he, he's one you wouldn't think would have compassion toward the man. But he did. Saw the man lying there, felt compassion for him, stopped, tended to his wounds, put him up on his own animal, carried him to the next village, put him up, and promised to pay for all of his medical expenses in his recovery. So after Jesus told the parable, he turned to his disciples and said, Now, which one of these three men proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the thieves? And the disciples said, It was the one who showed him mercy. It was the one who showed him mercy. You see, that's what God does for us on a spiritual plane. Is that God sees us lying by the road, beaten down by the ravages of sin, and God reaches out to us in His mercy. And He rescues us from the effects of our sin. Notice that Paul doesn't just say God had mercy. He says that God is rich. He's rich in mercy. What a beautiful phrase. Look, God doesn't have a little bit of mercy. God's got all kinds of mercy. He's got more mercy than you'll ever need. He, he can open up the windows of heaven and just pour out all the mercy that you need upon you. His store of mercy never runs dry. He is rich. God can provide all the mercy that your needy soul can take. It's interesting that uh, when John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, uh, was giving his uh, hymn of praise, he referred to God's mercy. And he called it tender. He spoke of the tender mercies of our Lord. 
You'll turn over with me to 1 Timothy. We're going to look at several different verses this morning as we go through. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 13. Where in his own testimony, his own experience of, of God's mercy says this, Even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor, yet... I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And then in verse 16, he says this, Yet for this reason, I found mercy, so that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe in him for eternal life. Then you turn over a few more pages to the book of Titus. Chapter 3, Titus, and verse 5, Paul says this, He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewing by the Holy Spirit. And then one more if you go to 1 Peter. Just keep going toward the end of the back of your Bible, you'll come to 1 Peter. Chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to what? According to His great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. God's mercy. God's great mercy. God's tender mercy is the reason for your salvation. But God, being rich in mercy. Second attribute of God we find here is His love. Notice that verse 4, back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us. Here Paul answers the question, why, doesn't he? Why did God show us Mercy was the cause of his great love. Because he loved us. Now notice again that, that, that Peter says God's rich in mercy. Here he says he has great love. Or he loves us greatly. And Paul doesn't talk about it in abstract terms. You know, God's a personal God. And God loves us personally. He talks about In verse 4, God's great love with which, what? With which He loved us. Look, there's nothing more comforting or reassuring than to know that God loves you. God is a personal God. He's not just a, a God off in the heavens who kind of created the world and Send it off spinning to to do what it would, watching it from a distance. God is intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He loves us personally. Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. I've told you before I would assume that 1 John chapter 4 is one of my wife's favorite chapters. She had it imprinted on my wedding band. Maybe she just didn't want me to forget. 
what love was. You reckon? 1 John chapter 4. I'll get to that later. 1 John chapter 4. Verses 7 through 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You see, love defines the character of God. God is love. That is who He is. He is a God who loves. He is a God who is love. In fact, the text says there is no love apart from God. Everyone who loves, who shows genuine, true love, is born of God and knows God, John says. God is the source of all love. You want to know what real love is? You want to show real love? Then you must know God. And what you need to understand is that that love does not just define God. Love demonstrates God. In fact, the Bible uses that very language. Look look with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. We're told this. That God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, God doesn't just say that he loves us. God shows that he loves us. He demonstrates his love for us. He manifests his love for us. And the greatest demonstration of God's love for us, as Romans 5.8 says... Is that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. That he sent his son to be our savior. Go back to 1 John chapter 4. Read verses 7 and 8. Let's pick up with verses 9 and 10. It says this, by, by this the love of God was manifested or demonstrated in us. That God has sent his only begotten son into the world. So that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us. And did what? Sent His Son to be the propitiations for our sin. And of course, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. God demonstrates His love for us. He manifests His love for us. He makes His love for us obvious. And again, God does a lot of things, doesn't he? To show us he loves us. But the greatest thing he did was send us his son. I'll I'll say it again. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I can tell my wife I love her till I am blue in the face. I can say it over and over again with as much earnestness and passion and seriousness as I can muster. But if I never do anything to show her then I love her. Then my words are empty. And they are meaningless. And there are times when I say things and I do things. And I'm sure 
cause her to wonder. You see, but she doesn't need just to hear it. She needs to see it. Isn't God good? He didn't just tell us. We don't just hear it. We see it. He showed us. God demonstrates His own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He showed us His love in the most dramatic way possible. Now, I love you all. I think you know I love you. I'm not sure a pastor could love his church any more than I love you. And I would go to a lot of lengths and I would make a lot of sacrifices to show it. But one thing I wouldn't do is give you my son. One thing I wouldn't do and sacrifice my sons to show my love for you. Folks, that's how much God loves you. He manifested His love by giving His Son to die in your place. God's mercy and God's love are essential parts of our salvation. And they're the key reason why we have salvation. Go back to Ephesians 2. Verse four, verses 4 says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, He made us alive together with Christ. God's mercy and His love to the foundation for our salvation. There's a third attribute here in this text, and that's God's grace. Now we're going to look at, uh, we're going to see a lot about grace in Ephesians, especially here in Ephesians 2, and especially if you're here next Lord's Day, I realize it's a holiday weekend, but when we deal with verses 8 through 10, we're going to see a lot about grace. In our text, however, in verses 4 through 7, he mentions grace twice, into verse 5. It's a parenthetical statement in my text where it says, By grace you have been saved. And then in verse 7, he talks about the surpassing riches of his grace. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Underline the part unmerited. Grace is receiving something you did not deserve. That's why we call it unmerited. If it is earned, if it's due to any merit on our part, if we deserve even an ounce of it, it is no longer grace. Next week we're going to see the relationship between grace and faith, but here this morning, it is the simple declaration by grace. By grace, you have been saved. You know, the odd things to me is how there are so many professing Christians who have such a hard time accepting that salvation 
is all of grace. He so desperately want man to have some part in it. For man to do something to achieve it. Or to say he merited it. Or he earned it. For man to have the ultimate decision about it. But don't you see that that diminishes the wonder of grace. Again, your appreciation of grace will be in direct proportion to your understanding of the reality of sin and the devastating effect that sin has in your life. Again, the key is, in verse 1, you are dead. Dead. The Bible says, in your trespasses and sins. I was talking with someone recently who, who doesn't grasp the greatness of salvation by sovereign grace alone. And what do you do with Ephesians 2? Verse 1. It says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. And the answer is, well, you've got to figure out what dead means. Really? Really? Dead meant dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God, being rich in mercy, according to the great love with which He loved us, folks, by grace, and by grace alone, you have been saved. If it is anything of man, it is no longer of grace. If you do anything to earn it, deserve it, merit it, buy it, it's no longer of grace. Grace dispels human merit. Grace dispels our deserving it. Salvation is all of God's sovereign grace. Again, what I say to start with? Your view of the nature of man will determine your view of salvation. And when we say that we're in complete need of God's grace, how wonderful it becomes to us. You see, God's whole purpose, God's whole purpose in this plan of salvation, I hate to break the news to you again, but, but God's whole purpose in this great plan of salvation was really not for your benefit. For His it's for His. We find the doxology at the end of Romans 11, isn't it? For from Him and through Him and what? And to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever, amen, even your salvation. Even your salvation. The main purpose of your salvation is for His glory. Look back at Ephesians chapter uh, 1. Uh, let me go ahead and read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. Here it, uh, here it is. In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will. Why? To the praise of of the glory of His grace. 
Folks, there won't be any bag patting on in heaven. Nobody's going to come up to you and pat you on the back and say, I'm so glad you decided to trust in Jesus. It's all going to be what? The praise of His glory, of His grace. You turn with me to Romans chapter 11. It's where Carrie's been teaching the last few weeks. Romans 11 verse 6 says this, But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Flip back to chapter 3 of Romans. Verse 24. Romans 3, 24. Let me start with verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And if you go over to 2 Timothy... Second Timothy, this time, chapter 1 and verse 9. Where it says, He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which has granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. And then one more, 1 Corinthians 15, if you go there. And we find Paul's, another part of Paul's testimony. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 9 and 10. For Paul says this, For I am the least of the apostles, and not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me did not prove vain, that I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. These verses in Paul's testimony show us the riches of His grace. Thank God for His amazing grace. And then one more attribute in our text. You go back to Ephesians 2. And that's His kindness. We see it in verse, verse 7. So that in the ages to come He might show two things. The surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. To, to talk about God's kindness is simply say that God is kind. To be kind is to be sympathetic, loving, affectionate, and forbearing. You know, in my simple mind, it seems to me that God is kind because He shows mercy, because He is love, and because He bestows grace. 
in His kindness, God is merciful. God is loving. And God is gracious. Look with me back at Ephesians chapter 2. I'm not Ephesians 2, Romans 2. Romans 2. And verse 4. Romans 2, 4. Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Why do we, why do we seek God? Why, why do we trust in Christ? It's because we've experienced His kindness. Because He's shown us in His kindness, He's shown us His mercy and His love and His grace. And that's what leads us to, to repent and to change our, our lives. 1 Peter chapter 1. Just about through. 1 Peter chapter 1. Excuse me. 1 Peter chapter 2. We went to chapter 1 earlier. Verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter 2, chapter verse 1. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Why are you to do that? Verse 3 says, If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And then Titus chapter 3. Verses 4 and 5. When the kindness of God, our Savior, and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. When the kindness of God appeared, He saved us. You see, if you're a believer this morning, you can rest in that. These attributes of God are the anchor for your soul. God's mercy, God's love, God's grace, and God's kindness. You can rest your soul in those. Folks, you can relax. You can relax in who God is and what God's done for you. Now, you can relax in regard to your salvation. Not in regard to your pursuit of holiness and your battle against temptation and sin, but look, your salvation is not because of anything you did. It's all because of who God is and what God has done. That's what Ephesians 2 verses 4 and 7 is telling us, isn't it? You were dead, but God did something. You were were helpless and hopeless, but God did something for you. God raised you up again in Christ. He he caused you to be born again. He gave you new life in Christ. He seated you in the heavenly places in Christ. He he did something for you. And the reason He did it is because of His mercy. Because of His love. Because of His grace. 
and cause the change. He did it all for the praise of the glory of His grace. Folks, that's the gospel. You realize that? That's the gospel. The gospel is all about God doing something for you even though you don't deserve it. That's the gospel. That's mercy. That's love. That's grace. And that's kindness. And that's why we conclude our service this morning singing great meaning.